0: Welcoming again, Eddie Crouch, chairman of the BDA, and we're going to be covering off various subjects. We're going to be covering the last quarter, uh, April 1st arrangements, end of PCR testing, BDA strategy and news, including the current situation in the Ukraine, ongoing COVID implications and also the four nations, what's happening. Eddie, welcome.
1: Afternoon, Lily. How are you?
0: I'm very well indeed. Thank you again for joining us on this Dental Business Transaction podcast. So starting off, let's talk about April the 1st arrangements around the UK.
1: Well, I think it's fairly true that from the 1st of April, dentists across the UK are pretty angry with the arrangements that are in place. Um, Here in England, um, the announcement coming as it did after the start of the financial year has really angered colleagues. But I suppose if you've been kind... um, At least NHS England eventually listened to the pleadings that were being made by Sean Childwood and his team at the General Dental Practice Committee uh, on the fact that so few practices were hitting 85% threshold and that would have meant significant amounts of practices would have had lots and lots of clawback and destabilisation because of that. Um, we believe just over 50% of practices were hitting that 85% threshold and introducing a lower cliff edge of 75% has meant that uh, practices will suffer less clawback, um, but we know that that clawback will be a, a real issue for those practices. Um, there, there was clearly a battle going on between NHS England and the Treasury, I'm pretty sure the Treasury were wanting to make sure that uh, uh, additional support and resources into dentistry didn't continue. They've lost significant amounts of money through patients' charges Uh, and I I guess despite the fact that the BDA was saying 85% was not a threshold that was achievable. It took some convincing from NHS England to go to the Treasury and and say that uh, and get a result that uh, this lower cliff edge has been put in. Um, But, you know, when when you've seen so few practices being able to hit 85% in the last quarter of the financial year uh, and we're still struggling with the pandemic, Uh, and we're still having problems with staff absence and we're still having patient cancellations. To actually set a a threshold of 95% for the first quarter uh, of this financial year seems completely unrealistic too. In Scotland, we know that uh, they've gone back to an item of service from the 1st of April. Um, They've arranged a three-month agreement uh, where they're going to have an enhancement. So every item of service is going to be uh, multiplied by 1.7. Uh, and and so that, you know, for them in the short term, that means probably about 60% activity uh, to actually get their 100% level of item of service. In Wales, uh, they've moved very strangely away from Uh, what they were doing in in piloting and they're moving to a, a system where the UDAs are a very much smaller part of what they're expecting their practices to do. But they've introduced a whole range of KPIs, which are quite experimental. They've given some of the practices in that area an opportunity to actually go back to UDAs and In some areas, quite a significant number of practices have decided to do that, albeit that they're not expecting them to hit 100% in Wales. And in Northern Ireland, um, the arrangements there are expecting them to hit 80% of their target um, with their enhancement on item of service. So it's very varied across the piece, but it looks as though... We're still in the pandemic. We've still got issues with members of staff off. Um, We've still got issues with many patients cancelling. I think the week before last was the record number of people with COVID. Uh, I suppose the only thing that we can say is if they're not going to be testing anyone from the 1st of April, uh, they won't be able to tell whether the pandemic is actually getting worse or not. But uh, on the ground, I think dental practices will know what the effect of, uh, of the pandemic will be.
0: In the majority of the NHS transactions that we're doing here in the in the dental brokerage, we're seeing NHS practices, obviously, not having reached their... They're, they're having clawback in quarter four. Many practices, as you said, not reaching the 85% target. Do you think the NHS will be revising their stance on clawback, Eddie? Because currently, small shortfall, even 1% is going to hit practices very hard financially.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that they did in in the last quarter was the fact that they didn't have a... Uh, a cliff edge or a lower threshold. So um, you fall one UDA below an 85% threshold and you're going to be clawed back, you know, the full 15% plus that one UDA. Uh, and that is going to have a very, very detrimental effect on the finances of running a dental practice. And that's why, as I said earlier, I'm hopeful that the whole reason why there's been a delay in announcing anything is that that is causing a serious rethink. I I guess that there's probably quite a battle going on with NHS England and the Treasury, where NHS England are putting forward perhaps the case that Sean Childwood and uh, the General Dental Practice Committee have been banging on about, about how a detrimental clawback will be to the viability of NHS practices in England. And they've listened, but it's convincing the Treasury uh, that they they will not be taking the money back because they've they've lost a significant amount of money from patient charge revenue uh, and I think there's quite a, an argument going on which is why we didn't hit anything why we didn't get anything out for the first of April
0: mm. um, we're hearing of NHS providers giving back their contracts are you seeing the same
1: well interestingly enough I was on a meeting with uh, some commissioners the other day um, where I understand that they're actually being instructed to uh, feed back on a regular basis the number of contracts that are being handed back. Now, if they are being asked to do that, then it must be a significant problem. You know, if, if they are collecting that data centrally from what they're hearing in the regions, then that that is something. I, I In fact, at that meeting, I was told that a, a sizable contract in the West Midlands had been handed back, um, and... You, you might expect that that would be a contract where the UDA value was at really low level and the viability of that contract wasn't there, so they were handing it back. But from what I understand, the, the, the practice that was handing back the contract was a practice with one of the highest UDA values in the area. Um, and, of course, there's going to be a lot of practices that are maybe not handing back a whole contract, but asking to rebase the contract, so yeah. that they they hand back a, a segment of it, really, in effect. Um, so there's there's a whole thing that's going on there at the moment. But I know talking to people like Practice Plan and DEM Plan and other providers of capitation schemes, they're really, really busy. They've got a backlog of people who are looking to speak to them. Um, Behaviour like we've seen where um, you know announcements are, are, are so disrespectful of the pref- profession will only do uh, more harm, I think, in, in, in practitioners thinking that the NHS aren't looking after them.
0: You're right, because, you know, how can an NHS practice with a low UDA rate, how can they remain viable, especially in the climate of rising business costs, Eddie? So it's not unsurprising that we're seeing them being handed back and people bringing in the fee per item dentistry and also the plan
1: no uh, and in fact i've heard um, in certain areas where access has been historically low uh, that when a provider with a low uda value that might have been talking to their commissioners for a long period of time and saying how unsustainable that uda value is when they've actually gone to the commissioner and said you know what i'm sorry you know here's your three months notice we're we're gonna hand this contract back. Then suddenly, uh, the the commissioner in that area is is taking a different approach to perhaps they might have done two or three years ago, where they're actually saying, "Well, hang on a minute, let's have a conversation about this." I can't I can't say that um, for sure that these practices will have their UDA values significantly raised, but it's certainly prompting some conversations in certain areas, um, which again fits in with what you said earlier. That if they are losing lots of practitioners handing back contracts, they're desperately keen to hang on to the ones that they, they've got with with a conversation about the UDA value.
0: You would hope so. You would think so. Um, okay, you mentioned earlier end of PCR testing. Thoughts on that? Feelings?
1: Well, uh, it's been really confusing. I mean, even, even on the BDA website last week, we put up a. Um, uh what we understood was the messaging that was coming out. And of course from from a private colleague's point of view, that they, you know, the the fact that they're not even going to be able to access lateral flow tests, you know, without buying them in for their staff. Um I I know of a colleague in secondary care over the weekend that actually um, had got someone in their family uh, that had tested positive, uh, and their secondary care provider had said that they needed to to go and get a PCR test um, in the same way as we were operating before. So if you you needed a clear PCR test and then carry on with your lateral flows to make sure you were okay to go in and do clinical work... um, that doesn't seem to fit in with what the BDA understood, and we're seeking further clarification today, and hopefully within the next few days we will get further clarification. But that, that particular colleague in Birmingham um, was, was offered a PCR test in Monmouth. Um, so, you know, it's been so... Again, I think there was an argument between NHS England and, and the Treasury about free testing. Uh, and again, it's led to sort of late decisions uh, and therefore the arrangements for things like that have been so bad that someone's having to drive, you know, 40 uh, odd miles down to Monmouth and 40 and odd miles back to get a PCR test when, you know, you're in Birmingham, for God's sake.
0: It's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, let's talk briefly about DDRB, Eddie.
1: Yeah, well, uh, again, sadly, the process of that, you know, we're, we're in a new financial year. The old process was that the doctors and dentists review body would have heard um, oral evidence. We, we've submitted, if you, if you go on the BDA website, you can have a look at the evidence that's been submitted by the BDA uh, to the doctors and dentists review body. Um, but um, the oral evidence for the DDRB was given um, on Monday, the 11th of April. And um, my understanding was that the uh, committee gave uh, Peter Crooks, my deputy chair of PEC and the chairs of uh, the general dental practice committees across the UK and uh, Charlotte Waite, who represented our community colleagues, gave them a fair hearing uh, at the DDRB and uh, listened to the case they put Um Let's be honest, their hands are tied uh, and whether the DDRB comes up with a recommendation that's anywhere near enough to cope with inflation, let alone trying to restore the pay of dentists which has fallen significantly in the last 10 years, um, I don't think that's going to happen. But let's hope that the DDRB come out with some firm um, proposals in, in their report, that highlight the issues that dentistry is facing across the UK.
0: Well, interesting times coming up ahead. Um, Let's move into the BDA strategy and also some news around uh, including Ukraine, Eddie.
1: Yeah, well, we've been in touch with... um, lots of dental associations that have been taking refugees. I mean, the situation is awful. Um, we, we contacted uh, the Polish uh, Dental Association, Hungarian Dental Association, to try and see what we could do collectively to support, first of all, the, 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 the refugees, really. Um, and it's been quite complex, really, in, in, in what we can do. Um, but we're also working with the European uh, de- uh, Dental Associations, collaboratively and we're working with FDI um the the, Federa- uh, the international uh, association of dental associations to try and support uh what we can in the efforts and the BDA have actually offered free membership to any Ukrainian um dentist or or, or arriving in the UK um so that we can make contact with them and maybe give them some help and support um, but I think what we need to do is work alongside other, other organizations who are all doing some things. Um, I got contacted the other day by uh, an organization that was organizing supplies uh, to, to be collected and sent to Poland to be onwardly shipped to Ukraine for dental treatment still going on in ukraine we know many of the dental schools in ukraine have been badly damaged by suddenly the effects of war so there's going to be a whole cohort of people who will not be able to continue with their dental education you know for qualifying as uh, as dentists in ukraine so it's a plethora of uh, things that we were looking to do to try and support the situation um not least probably arguing in the future about how when eventually these um, uh, refugees arrive in the UK, if they arrive in significant numbers, how we make sure that they have access to NHS or dental services across the UK. The the, the BDA have a strategy that runs for a three-year period, um, and it should have finished um, right flat-bang in the middle of the pandemic. We thought it was totally inappropriate to actually set a strategic aim for the BDA based on uh, the fact that we were so uncertain about how the pandemic was going and where, where it would lead the profession to. Um, So we had an opportunity last year to actually gather information from lots of our committees about their top priorities and what they thought uh, the BDA needed to do over the next three year triennial period. Uh, And the PEC had a meeting in February uh, where we took on board some of the feedback from staff and some of the feedback that we would had from those committees last year to look at what we do going forward with the BDA. And it's quite a long time now since the membership structure of the BDA has been examined. I think that will will feature fairly highly in the next three years. Uh, we've got lots of changes with our committee structures, uh, and about the fact that so many of our meetings now are held remotely, and and how we mix that with meeting face to face. And the BDA building uh, gives us an opportunity to look. Uh, how we develop that building for resources, for various things, maybe for courses, maybe for training purposes, maybe for exhibitions and all sorts of things, because, you know, a significant number of our workforce at the BDA and the staff are working from home a significant part of the week and coming into Wimpole Street maybe only two or three days a week. So there's lots there really for the PEC to decide on, for the strategy of the BDA for the next... Three years, and hopefully by the autumn, uh, that will be out to members on what we are planning to do for the next three years.
0: Interesting. We were down there ourselves actually at a recent seminar in Wimpole Street. And as you say, whilst it's nice to get back to seeing people, the whole dynamic has shifted so much with people's working patterns. Um, And that also goes on to we were talking earlier, weren't we, um, about the recent dental show and how many people actually can make the effort now and are prepared to do the travelling because they've got so used to not doing this it's just a new way of working and it's a new use of their time.
1: Uh, And of course in May uh, we're going to have the the dentistry and the BDA and dentistry show here in Birmingham. Um, It'd be interesting to see how that pans out over the Friday and the Saturday that we've got there. We've got a fairly big stand there um, and we've got a lecture theatre with lots of uh, CPD events for the BDA going on there. I guess it will depend on where the pandemic is going in May, but hopefully it will be a successful show and I'll get to meet people face to face, including yourself, Lily.
0: Yes, we shall be there. We look forward to it very much. Um, So just before we finish, Eddie, what's, I mean, we'll talk again in another three months. I I really look forward to getting our catch-ups with you and what's happening. It is yet again an interesting time. And we say this every time we meet, but it's true, of course. It's like the Grand National, isn't it? The, the jumps, the hurdles that one has to get over here. What's next? What's coming up? What's around the corner? From your perspective, what's on your radar for the next 10 to 12 weeks?
1: Well, I, I really hope that the, the Minister uh, lives up to her promise in that three-hour debate that we had in Parliament in February uh, when she said that she was going to negotiate seriously um, or NHS England were going to negotiate seriously on contractual reform. Uh, let's hope that we've got enough NHS-committed practices left when we, when we get some reform, <laughs> because the way things are going and with the sluggish nature of uh, contract reform, I'm really worried that we're not going to have a workforce left in the NHS to see any reform contract because they'll have all left.
0: Yeah. Sobering thought. Eddie, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Um, I will see you at the upcoming show, of course, and look forward to us having another catch up industry news. What's hot, what's not in July time. Thank you once again.
1: Always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye.
0: Bye now.